African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Hey, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, that's where you are listening to us uh, on our uh, service into SADC and some uh, countries that can get hold of us on the African continent internationally. You can listen to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today on our program, we are going to be looking at the xenophobic attacks uh, that have been riddling South Africa. Once again, uh, we know that uh, so far, this five people have been killed in what many call xenophobic attacks in South Africa. The police say as President Cyril Ramaphosa vowed to clamp down on what he described as acts of wanton violence and the African Union Nigeria sounded the alarm. Now, police fired rubber bullets and arrested up to 100 189 people in the township of Alexandra on Tuesday, a day after clashing with looters who a local media said targeted foreign-owned businesses in several parts of the city. Most of the deceased were South Africans. That's what has been confirmed by the police. But we know that all of this is even affecting things on the World Economic Forum stage. I know there's some African countries that have been actually standing back and say they will not participate in South Africa's hosting of the World Economic Forum. Uh, So we'll be looking at this particular narrative. What does it mean for South Africa? We're talking about this. I don't know how many times, once again, we're back on this particular topic. Why are we seeing a constant resurgence of these xenophobic attacks in the country? What does it mean in terms of the country's security, the country's even internal police? Are they able to actually contain this particular situation? We know all of this, probably we could have located it to what happened when a taxi driver was killed in Pretoria by what has been alleged to be uh, a, a Nigerian guy. So that's where the tension actually where I see it started and we saw a whole lot of social media responding to that. But let me see if I can get hold of uh, the, min- the spokesperson of the Minister of Police, uh, that's Lorenzo Temba on the line. Lorenzo, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, good, good, good morning to you, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. Cool. Now, Lorenzo, let's look at this particular moment that South Africa finds itself in. It seems like we're seeing another resurgence of what we're calling now xenophobic attacks. From the Ministry of Police, what is their response to this? Because this is not the first time it happens even this year. We saw what happened in Durban uh, just a few months ago. Well, I think first and foremost, the priority for the African Police Service on the ground is also on a ministerial level is to find a lawlessness or bring back lawlessness on the streets of not only just Johannesburg, but in Gauteng and also other parts of the country where these violence is taking place. 
Uh, now you know that uh, over uh, almost 300 people have actually been arrested. This is the latest figures okay. I'm giving you right now. Who have been arrested for various crimes. Um, this is emanating from the violence that has been transpired that started on, Mon- on Sunday. But the plan really for us is to make sure that uh, bring back the law, the law to the streets, um, prosecute as well as just really arrest all those people that are found to be on the wrong side of the law. And of course, the one thing that obviously is uh, the, the question that has been asked time and time again is, is this an attack on foreign nationals? Is this is an phobic attack? But for the police or from the police side of things, whatever it's called, whatever formation it is, in all its manifestations, for us, it's criminality. And this is what we're dealing with right now. With that said, Lorenzo, it seems like uh, South Africa's police service really struggles with containing uh, these uh, uh, xenophobic attacks when when they come out. Uh, one moment when they come out, we hear them responding or we hear your department responding. Hey, we, we're learning how to respond to these situations and how to contain them. But year after year, it seems like there's a struggle and it seems like we don't have a way forward in terms of how to contain them. The Ministry of Police is very uh, uh, satisfied uh, that the intelligence of uh, the SAPS, the crime intelligence, is equal to the task. Uh, there are many instances where um, intelligence-driven operations have actually stopped uh, more more of these um, uh, violence from from from. Can from you give happening. us examples on those, Lorenzo? Well, I can actually. Just in, in just uh, just last night, exactly. Sure. In Fogosa, in the East Rand, where we know that there were people that were planning on actually causing chaos mm. and have. And uh, the the SAPS was able to really act on the information that they were able to receive. However, on the same breath, I think it's very important, Benjamin, to mention that a lot of these lootings that we are seeing are sporadic. And this is very difficult then for um, the crime intelligence to really just, um, you know, uh, uh, determine when and how and why it's happening. So right now, I can guarantee you that everyone is hard at work to find out if there's going to be more of such things. However... What we are receiving at the moment is mixed messages. Some of these um, meetings are sporadic. Some of them could be orchestrated. And the ones that are being orchestrated, they're the ones that common intelligence is able to, to, to uh, put a lid on and respond to it before it actually transpires. So um, it is uh, one thing that the Minister of Police has really put out, saying that they've got all the confidence uh, in, 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 the, in the intelligence, um, in its functionality, and also in just how... They are able to execute these essentially. Okay, Lorenzo, let me get your understanding in terms of you know the way forward. And I know that um, um, the Minister of Police, Begitele, was speaking uh, during the week saying that, hey, uh, he believes that as much as we can actually have uh, police responding to this, there needs to be some community engagement. What's the way forward? The minister has really, um, you know, got out of his uh, uh, office and actually got down to the ground. And this was demonstrated in the, last, in the past two days. In fact, just putting on hold um, his schedule that was supposed to be taking place in Cape Town, going to Johannesburg and interacting with residents of some of these areas that have been affected by violence. Um, he yesterday met up with Izinduna from these uh, hostels, um, Cleveland, mainly Cleveland, Cleveland, um, Denver, as well as Judge uh, um Hustle. And it is where we are also just getting information from crime intelligence, by the way, about um, most and some of the perpetrators really coming from these areas. 
Um, and uh, this is uh, the dialogue that we want to establish between um, government as well as it is in the to go out about not only just a slide, hmm. but that they are resorting to, to, to stealing, to vandalizing, and also to violence. We have seen the death of about five people, two of which are foreign nationals. Um, we have also, as I've mentioned, seen the arrest of almost 300 people who are arrested for crimes raging and, of course, including the violence that is taking place. Mm. So um, this is basically the dialogue that he wants to do. So now there's an inviso that has been established that is going to take place on Sunday, this individual is going to really look at uh, um, not only just addressing their plight, because it's very important to know that the SAPS, that the police department, the men and women in blue, are not the only ones that are going to be solving this problem. We can bring lawless and law and law in, onto the streets, but in terms of the underlying problems that exist, mm-hmm. the economic problems that we, me and you both, know exist in South Africa, and are some of the, 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 the problems that are fueling uh, the, these violent scenes, those are going to be dealt with by a holistic approach uh, from government. So um, just this is going to look at how this can happen, how soon it can happen, and hopefully it will really get to a point where we are seeing just law presiding over its people there. Okay. And when is this Mbizu going to be held, and will it include foreign nationals as part of the dialogue? This Mbizu is the first step of a larger step. Uh, one thing that the Minister of Police wanted to do was to have uh, a dialogue, and this is before um, the, 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 the violence broke out. He wanted to have a dialogue with people that are living in the inner city as to, you know, what are their concerns, what are their crime concerns, what are their sort of you know, policing matters that they want to raise. And, by the way, the Minister has been conducting these individuals on a weekly basis um, in, 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 in every part of the country. But this uh, time, this individual has been obviously, you know, brought forward because of the opposition that we find ourselves in. It's going to take place on Sunday. Um, at this moment, um, my understanding is that the people that are going to be um, participating in this yeah. including, by the way, the Premier of Gauti and David Mkura, who is very instrumental in terms of finding a, a workable solution to what's going on here. But mm. then, uh, members of the legislature are going to be coming. It also is in Guna, who are represented, by the way, thousands of people that are living within the inner city. And this is uh, really hope that there are some tangible, tangible uh, solutions that are going to be found in this meeting. And of course, the minister has said that he's not going to leave not knowing if there's going to be some sort of ceasefire from these residents because essentially what you want sure. is uh, not only just to bring the law back, yeah. but this doesn't happen again. Well, we have to come back to this again and start um, clarifying our position. So, Lorenzo, sorry, just, just, just to cut you off there, I'm sorry, but I want to understand whether uh, we're also going to have foreign nationals represented in the Zimbizo. Uh, let, let that be my final question. I know that I have to let you go, but I just want to get clarity on that particular point in terms of are we going to have foreign nationals represented in the Zimbizo? It's an Zimbizo. So the, the engagement is wide. Are, are they invited by, 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 by government? People are, people are invited to take place in this very important discussion. Okay. The local local government is organizing all the nitty-gritty details. So okay. I think at the time we have an idea of exactly who's coming and exactly who's been invited.
All right. Thank you so much, Liranzu, for giving us your time. That's Liranzu Temba, the spokesperson of the Minister of Police. That takes us to 17 minutes past 11 o'clock, and it seems very tense. I could hear uh, the nervousness even in Liranzu's voice there. It seems like this situation is very, very worrying even for the Ministry of Police itself. It seems like they also have to get their act together. But let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have the spokesperson of the Human Rights Watch, Gashwil Brooks, to join us in this discussion. And also we'll bring in the Director of Research at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. That's Hugo van der Merwe. And uh, we'll continue this discussion after this. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlec to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Yeah, you are listening to Channel Africa. Just uh, uh, to remind you that uh, you're listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. If you're listening to us uh, online, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for joining us on that particular platform. However, if you're joining us on our DSTV channel, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And uh, I just crossed the border yesterday from Swaziland. We were doing the read dance, as you would have known if you were listening on Monday. We were broadcasting live from Eswatini and just crossing the border it was sad just hearing the sad news about South Africa the fact that uh, the these violent attacks have been taking place in Gauteng but to expand on uh, how we've started this uh, conversation uh, with uh, Leranzo Temba the spokesperson of the Minister of Police we'll take this conversation forward with Gashwil Brooks spokesperson of Human Rights Watch and Hugo van der Merwe from the Center for the uh, S- uh, Study of Violence and reconciliation. Let me start with you, Kashwal. Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, it's great, thanks. Sorry, um, there was some severe interference, so I barely heard what you were saying there in, in, in your introduction, but I'm actually from South African Human Rights Commission. Oh, Human Rights Commission. I was thinking that because I really asked my um, technical, my producer twice, are you sure that Gashwal is at Human Rights Watch? And he says, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and because I'm sure that the last time I spoke to you, you were not. And um, Gashwal, let, let's look at this resurgence once again of these xenophobic attacks. I don't want to say that I'm getting tired of talking about it, but it is getting frustrating. Indeed, and I don't blame you for getting um, uh, fatigued at this particular issue because it seems to be an ongoing issue that keeps on cropping up. But I think that there's a recognition from the Threatened Human Rights Commission that we can't look at this just in simple isolation and just merely condemn. I think we need to look at it holistically and look at the uh, social, the political, as well as the 
um, you know, economic circumstances that lead to uh, this xenophobia and um, attacks or, or uh, not just protests, but all kinds of violence directed specifically at non-nationals who are in South Africa. Let me bring in uh, Hugo back in, into the conversation. Thank you for waiting. I know that you were waiting there while we were having that conversation with Leranzu. And what was alarming for me listening to her was the fact that she was bringing confidence to us, the listeners, saying that uh, the uh, security police actually have their hands and understand what's happening on the ground, but they don't understand the sporadic uh, xenophobic attacks. That was a little bit uh, confusing to listen to Hugo. Um, yes, I don't. And thank you for having me. Um, I'm. I think I'm, I'm not convinced um, that we have that our police have a clear picture of this. I don't have a sense that they'd anticipated what was going to happen, um, and that was despite um, various warnings from um, the, the non-national communities um, that they were aware that these events were being planned. Um, so we were surprised that there wasn't more police visibility, that there wasn't more um, presence on the ground, um, because these things in, were, were anticipated. So um, and I think just to um, emphasize that these are um, ongoing concerns, we see this now kind of repeatedly happening around South Africa. So we do in, would expect that the intelligence in people are being are focusing on this, and that's not, and that doesn't seem to be in uh, providing any any serious um, uh, sufficient intelligence for us to act uh, proactively. Mm. Um, at the same time, it's not just a police matter. This is various branches of government that have responsibility, um, and I think our politicians have behaved very irresponsibly um, in their political statements about foreigners, blaming them from for everything from their the delivery problems on health, on cri- crime prevention. Um, so we're reaping now what the politicians have sowed. Um, this is not something that they can just deal with as a crisis um, and, and blame sporadic activities mm-hmm. by communities. This is a systematic problem that needs to be addressed in a much more holistic and proactive way. Talking about the holistic way, um, Hugo, um, what was also worrying is the fact that now they want to have an imbizo and, it, you know, just speaking to Liranzu there, I got the sense that she was not aware whether the foreign nationals were invited to this particular Mbizo. She knew whether who was invited from a South African context, but from a foreign nationals context, she seemed not um, aware of what's going on, going on in that regards. And that's a bit worrying in terms of, you know, the way we look at these issues. We have to look at them from not just a South African context, but also from what I can call as what we do as South Africans as othering and sometimes we we do that constantly even with our engagements uh, with foreign nationals in this debate yeah I think this is it speaks to the issue that there aren't clear communication channels for proper communication um, between the police and foreign nationals and various other government departments and foreign national communities that they're supposed to be serving um, that they deal with this and call a, a Mbizo after the fact, um, when these are clearly problems that are ongoing and needs a more constant, um, not a reactive response. 
And I don't think those those relationships with foreign nationals have been prioritized. Um, so hopefully they they will be give it attention now. Um, but we kind of the concern is that this will be a one-off process that then gets dropped again until future violence happens. Mm. Coming back to you, Gashwell, um, you know, the resurgence as well, I'm sure it also kind of creates an environment in South Africa whereby not just our human rights record is actually being muddied, but it also creates an atmosphere in, in South Africa where we're constantly failing and our systems are not delivering in dealing with this one thing. And, uh, you know, I want to ask that question again, like, why? Why are we having that cycle? Because I think that's where we are now as South African, where we should ask ourselves around not just what's happening on the ground. Yes, we've been looking at the reasons why it's happening on the ground, but the resurgence of it happening is something that we should keep asking ourselves. But it seems like we're not able to deal with it. Yeah, because I think that part of the problem is is that we not there's no not everyone singing from the same hymn sheet, and I think that we underestimate what the complexities of these issues actually are. Um, and and beyond that, part of the concern also is is that um, uh, you know there's uh, as you would well know as we speak on your platform and many other platforms, there's all kinds of um, red herrings being thrown in people, for example. Uh, not willing to acknowledge uh, xenophobia, people not willing to acknowledge uh, the social ills that underpin and then give rise to xenophobia, mm-hmm. and that we're looking at it from a very singular perspective. The other concern that, I, that we have as the Commission is that unfortunately it becomes the job of one entity. Um, and that is, um, uh, people tend to then pin it on government, people pin it on specific entities to deal with. And unfortunately, we, we can't have uh, any successes if we're going to pin it on just one group or one entity or one organization. Uh, what, what we need to do is we need to have a holistic approach where faith-based communities, civil society, business, uh, Chapter 9 institutions like ourselves, and society at large need to change our narrative around our understanding of equality and the acceptance of people despite their nationalities that obviously do not origin, originate out of South Africa. Um, and to accept a principle of human rights and equality for all, it is, that is at the center of the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take a quick break. I'll be back um, to you guys and we'll continue having this discussion. And I'm actually looking at images of Peggy Kale on TV here. And I'm sure that uh, that community engagement process is going to be important. I see that he's not in Gauteng right now. He's in his hometown in Durban. And that just shows uh, just how they're prioritizing uh, this particular issue. I don't know if it's Cape Town or it's Durban, but I think he's should be here just looking at how intense and serious uh, this particular issue is. But let's take a quick break. 28 minutes past 11 o'clock. You are with me, Benjamin Mushatam, right here on African Dialogue. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. 
more support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yeah, you're listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our uh, DSTV Channel 802 on the Audio Bouquet platform. And also thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. So I mentioned uh, that uh, as we're coming into uh, South Africa from the Swatini border, yesterday we heard the news that uh, there was a huge, huge uh, um, violence in South Africa uh, looking at these xenophobic attacks attacks that have been taking place in various parts of uh, uh, Gauteng. And Hugo, you know, let me come back to you. If you're just joining us now, let me reintroduce uh, Hugo. Hugo van der Matter is the Director of Research at the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. And also, we also have Gashwell Brooks uh, from South Africa Human Rights Commission. Um, Hugo, let me come back to you. You know, what what's interesting for me is the fact that we saw the starting whereby we saw the, the Pretoria driver who was killed by, allegedly, let me correct myself, allegedly killed by a foreign national. And that created a debate on social media. I kind of saw this debate now starting and there were foreign nationals now starting to speak out against South Africans and saying how South Africans are, how much they hate them and South Africans responding to that. So the tension was always building on social media. And for me, it's interesting to know that uh, we allowed the situation to get um, manifest even on the ground physically uh, to when the looting was starting to take place, when uh, foreign-owned businesses were being uh, targeted. Um, clearly, there is a system on how these things happen. And when I look back, it seems to happen the same way every time. It always starts on a social media platform. Either you get messages on WhatsApp, on organized, on organized um, response to foreign nationals. So there is kind of a pattern that I'm starting to see on these events, but it seems like we are indifferent to those patterns. Yeah, I think there's a number of elements that we need to unpack here. I mean, I think firstly, there are very clearly in some people who have a direct interest in fomenting these protests and um, who want to get rid of in foreign nationals because they don't like the competition. Um, and so kind of very self-serving. On the other hand, there are a number of people who are um, purely opportunistic, who see these kind of events as opportunities to, to loot. Um, and then there's the broader kind of population who, um, who, who where there are um, 
xenophobic attitudes that are quite common. And I think those that is particularly concerning um, that we've allowed those attitudes to fester and that there have been various people in South Africa, various polit- political figures who've actively encouraged that festering. Um, and I think there are a number of institutions where this has become institutionalized. I think in our work at, at the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, we've engaged in, um, we've come across in their people's engagement with the police, for example, where I mean, on the, here we have police who are supposed to be protecting foreigners, um, but in their daily interaction with police, um, non-nationals experience incredible xenophobia from most of the police that they engage with. Um, the same goes with various institutions, the health institutions, even at schools or at the home affairs office. Um, the treatment towards foreigners is, is, is reprehensible, and that is something that our that state institutions need to take responsibility for. Um, and I think there's a so there's a, a broad um, atmosphere that our political establishment is is tolerating or in some ways even encouraging. Um, at the same time, this it's not purely institutions, um, we do need to look at our faith institutions and the rest of our society, how we're, how we're responding to, to this growing intolerance. Well, that's very worrying. What are your thoughts, what um, um, Hugo is saying there, Gashwell, the fact that we're starting to see this um, ill treatment of foreign nationals being institutionalized, especially by even the police themselves. Just a, a few weeks ago, we also saw them doing inspections in the inner city, but the response of that and the violence that came out of that kind of was a prelude to what we're seeing now. And that, that's worrying, isn't it? Um, I certainly, I mean, if I can just take a step back and, and go back to, you, you know, what you were discussing now around the issue of social media being used then as a tool mm. um, for spreading this use, um, this, this hate and this uh, abuse. Sure. And that is why the South African Vice Commission has been doing so much work in the space of hate speech, because all too often, um, you know, we are criticized, for example, for jumping at the opportunity when someone uses, um, say, racist or, or any other form of language that would be construed as being uh, hate speech via so, uh, social media. But I think that the important lesson to be learned from this is that hate speech um, begets hate to, to uh, you know, uh, use a cliché there or to, to, to adapt the cliché because hate begets hate. And ultimately what we've seen is, is that these attitudes are being fomented, um, you know, through the use of social media, and that is why we need to have effective responses towards hate speech and curb it at its source. Because unfortunately what happens is that um, this hate is drummed up um, uh, via social media and uh, messages are spread and pretty soon you have people turning against each other and then when that happens there's also a negative um, violent response. But going back to the institutionalized nature of xenophobia, and that is the unfortunate thing with any form of discrimination um, that, that is unjustifiable. That unfortunately we do not only manifest, see it manifest through interpersonal interactions, um, we see it being institutionalized. And then many people, as an example, would argue uh, that interpersonal racism, as an example, is not as, as damaging um, as institutionalized racism. And I think the same 
argument can then also be applied uh, for or any other form of discrimination, whether transphobia, phobia, or any such um, uh, form of discrimination. But the, the key thing is, as a constitutional democracy, mm-hmm. where any state institution should first and foremost be informed by the Constitution and in turn the Bill of Rights. Uh, it's not just disappointing to hear that, they, that this is what people encounter on a day-to-day basis, but it is fundamentally unconstitutional, and that is not how we are supposed to conduct ourselves uh, from a state perspective. And if that is the example being set by the state, imagine then um, how it is interpreted and how people act who are merely uh, private citizens. You know, also another thing for this process to be dealt with, I'm worried about the Simbizo that's taking place on Sunday because what makes me worried is I heard, um, you know, the spokesperson of uh, the Minister of Police talking about the emphasis of Indunas will be representing uh, the people and the local community. And for me, I was thinking, who are the Indunas and what makes them the fact that they res- they responding and and and, and speaking on, on behalf of um you know locals because i know we don't have a kingship a kingdom uh, system in 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 Gauteng, for instance maybe if that was happening in the far flung areas of KZN i would understand um Gashwell. but in terms of making sure that these imbizos or these gatherings or these conversations with communities are effective what what do you think should be done? Where should we actually start to to make this um, process actually worthwhile, and that is not just a PR session? Well, I think all communities need to be reached out to, um, and um, the, the the shape and the form of those particular engagements, I think, are not as important as what the message is, because the key question is what is supposed to come out of that. Um, are we people, for example, of uh, what the Constitution provides in terms of rights for all within America. Are we also trying to dispel a lot of around um, what fuels xenophobia? But coupled with it, are we also then addressing the social, the economic, and the political ills that give rise to this form of, of xenophobia? Because the recurring narrative that we hear, uh, whether it be in the media, whether it be, you know, um, in the, uh, via social media, is this notion that non-nationals come here and they take our jobs and they take our women. And they, so in other words, it's this idea that um, the presence of non-nationals is merely extractive, that there is something mm-hmm. that we are losing as a nation in the process. Mm-hmm. And are we educating and informing people that what the, the presence of non-nationals is actually enriching? But simultaneously, is government, for example, taking the necessary steps to ensure um, that, for example, documented non-nationals are present in South Africa and that undocumented non-nationals are actually in the minority? Are we ensuring that when it comes to um, law enforcement, that the key issue around it is that uh, we don't have, for example, police who are complicit in, say, for example, a drug trade, but that they're actually taking the necessary um, prosecutory measures, and that we do not then pin uh, a social ill, like, for example, drug use and sale of drugs or, or drug abuse, um, and then pin it on a particular group of people who are vulnerable and happen not to be from South Africa. So that is, for me, mm-hmm. what I think the just uh, the, the thrust of such conversations.
education should be. Uh, in the, obviously, it needs to reach all and all relevant people as opposed to a select few. Hugo, do you think this Mbiza uh, um, will be just a, a PR session or just a, even so, will it be representative of the kind of dialogue that we need to have? Already, this particular xenophobic attack is having an impact even on our reputation on the stage of the World Economic Forum on Africa because even some African countries have withdrawn even their involvement within uh, the forum because of what's happening in the country. Um, well, I see that Mbizo is a PR, is PR um, strategy, and we desperately need that. Our reputation is very much on the line, and I think South Africa is now integrated in culturally and economically um, and is trying to play a political role on the continent, and that is all undermined by our inability to deal with this problem. So on the one hand, we need to do kind of whatever we can to 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 address the PR nightmare that has arisen, um, but obviously we need to do a lot more. And I absolutely agree that this is about the need for dialogue spaces. That essentially we don't have as a country a clear understanding of the social ills of, of kind of what drives crime, who are the criminals. Um, and what the problems are in addressing issues of health and housing um, so that in, we're jumping to simplistic solutions of blaming foreigners. Um, and that's kind of simplistic thinking is happening because government isn't engaging people in the proper dialogue, isn't communicating with communities effectively um, and giving communities an understanding of what government should be doing and mm. can be doing to address these problems. Um, so it, it is about a breakdown of communication and people becoming desperate and taking things into their own hands um, in completely inappropriate ways. Well, thank you to our guests for giving us their time. We're going to wrap it up with that and uh, hopefully we'll see things settling down and hopefully a real structured response uh, to this uh, constant problem of xenophobic attacks in South Africa. I think we can't really argue that there's xenophobic attacks or not because it seems like they are an attack on foreign nationals. So we, that debate is, should be concluded as well in South Africa. But thank you uh, to Hugh. Hugo van der Merwe, uh, Director of the Research Department of the Center for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Thank you as well to Gushwil Briggs for giving us his time once again on our program. He's the spokesperson for South Africa's Human Rights Commission. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with our business news. And uh, we have Tracy Boemgaard who's getting ready for you. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land.